overworked, stressed, and burned out. That's how 52% of workers responded to a recent survey conducted to evaluate the quality of worker welfare. This is where Joy Cheever comes in. Founded by the brilliant Tracy Lalonde, a formerly burned out overachiever herself, Tracy is an author and a professional speaker with over 28 years in training and development. Tracy created Joy Cheever as a service and resource to help businesses and individuals find an enjoyable, sustainable work-life blend. With Joy Cheever, even the busiest of individuals can make daily intentional choices for joy. We've all been there, uncertain about our choices and worried that the professional path we're on is not allowing us to live as intently and as passionately as we would like. So visit joychiever.com and take their customized Roadmap for Joy survey. It's a great place to start your own personal joy journey. That's joychiever.com, J-O-Y-C-H-I-E-V-E-R.com. Thousands of people have mysteriously vanished in America's wilderness. Join us as we dive into the deep end of the unexplainable and try to piece together what happened. You are listening to Locations Unknown. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Locations Unknown. I'm your co-host, Joe Irado, and with me, as always, is a guy who is always happy whether Pucks a Tawny <laughs> Phil sees a shadow or not, Mike Vandebogart. Thanks, Joe, and thank you once again to all our loyal listeners for tuning in. Uh, it feels good to be back, Joe. We were off for kind of about a month. Oh, why um, was that, Mike? <laughs> I had my first child, so... Hey! Yay! All right. Uh, oh, I don't have a clapping. I could just have a... <laughs> <laughs> laugh. <laughs> um, so yeah, that was uh, exciting. I'm always tired now, but uh, <laughs> we're getting back at it. So uh, just a couple quick uh, announcements here before we get going. Uh, first, I'd like to thank our new Patreon supporters. So we've got Kate Rossing, uh, Gwendolyn Buchanan. Uh, this person didn't leave their name, so I'm just giving their username, GF301. Thank you, GF. Uh, Jesse Dudas. Uh, Ann Burke, Valerie Johnson, and Gavin Hardcastle, which is the coolest last Ooh, name we've ever awesome. had. Kevin, Kevin Hardcastle. Yeah. So, and we also have our first YouTube member. So <gasps> that's I'm our first one. Give a shout out to Deborah Wales, which I believe she's actually supported us on Patreon before too. So awesome. Thank you, Deborah. Uh, thank you, uh, Deborah, for that. And uh, just a couple updates on some upcoming episodes so we are in contact with several family members of Gwen Hasselquist and we're going to be doing a follow-up episode probably in the March or April time frame yeah we're Um, working through schedules right now for scheduling the interviews and uh, just talking to some of them because some of them want to remain anonymous yep so so we're treading very lightly to make sure we're protecting everyone's identities and doing everything as best we can yeah, so stay tuned for that, and we also have a, a, a pretty cool episode coming up that we're going to try and live stream. Uh, this gentleman went missing in uh, the wilderness of Washington State uh, and was missing for nine days and survived on like a can of SpaghettiOs and 
Riverwater. So he's going to come on the podcast with us and kind of go through his life story, you know, how this happened, how do you survive, you know, tips and advice for other people if they ever go missing. So kind of excited for that one. Yeah, that'll be a good one. Yeah. So that's all I had. All right, everybody, let's gear up and get down to explore locations unknown. June 8th, 2021, a Jackson, Wyoming resident, bartender, and local snowboard instructor set out for a solo hike in Grand Teton National Park with limited gear on a moderate eight-mile trail. Witnesses reported seeing him around mid-afternoon. This is the last time he would be seen. Join us this week as we investigate the disappearance of Kean McLaughlin. Grand Teton National Park is one of my favorite parks, I think, in the national park system. Joe, I've hiked it before. Did a Yeah, I didn't do that one with you. I was pretty jealous. Yeah, I did a really cool um, big loop through the park up over the Paintbrush Divide uh, several years ago now, and it was a very enjoyable park. It was uh, the one hike that I've come within probably 30 yards of a grizzly bear off the trail, which <laughs> is terrifying when it actually happens to you. <laughs> so um, it was really cool. Park so is we a, know for a fact there's grizzlies at that park. We do. I've okay. seen them. <laughs> they exist there. <laughs> so uh, just I'm going to go through a quick location profile of the park for the listeners who've uh, never heard of Grand Teton or have been there. It's about 310,000 acres, which is about the size of the – uh, city limits of Phoenix, Arizona. So it's a pretty large park. Uh, in 2020, it had about almost about 3.3 million visitors, which would make it the fifth most visited national park in the U.S. And anyone who's been there, you know, pre-COVID, will know that if you go in the summer, it's a very busy park. So one of my questions later on in this episode is, um, it would be hard to go missing in this park just by the sheer fact that there's so many people in it. Um, but we can get into that a little bit later. It's located in the state of Wyoming, and I'm going to go through a couple fun facts with you, Joe, about uh, Grand Teton. So uh, the park was established in 1929, and then again in 1950. Uh, in 1929, President Calvin Coolidge went against enormous public opposition and approved the original 96,000-acre park, which encompassed the Teton Range and Six Glacial Lakes. In 1943, Franklin uh, D. Roosevelt established the 210,000-acre Jackson Hole National Monument to to protect the the remaining federal lands on the valley floor. Um, The park's iconic feature, the 40-mile-long Teton Range, is one of the youngest ranges in the Rocky Mountains, and uh, it's actually some of the youngest mountains in the world, so uh, pretty cool there. a lot of people probably don't know this. Grand Teton is the only U.S. national park with a commercial airport, so you can actually commercially fly into uh, Grand Teton National Park. Um, the Jackson Hole Airport was built in the 1930s and became part of the Jackson Hole National Monument in 1943. And then it was uh, 
absorbed into the national park when the monument was kind of absorbed. So pretty cool. Human history in the uh, Grand Teton region dates back at least 11,000 years when the first nomadic hunter-gatherer paleo-Indians began migrating into the region during warmer months pursuing food. Um, so this one is uh, this one is kind of funny. So the Teton, or the Grand Teton National Park is named for Grand Teton, which is the tallest mountain uh, in the Teton Range. The naming uh, of the mountain is attributed to early 19th century French-speaking uh, trappers who uh, basically called it the uh, the Three Teats. So <laughs> uh, later on, it was shortened to um, the Tetons. So That's actually not shortened. Yeah. It's yes. longer. <laughs> um, it's, made, it's been made more politically correct. <laughs> yeah, and we didn't. I, when I hiked there, I didn't know that was the original naming of um, the mountains in a okay. park ranger filled us in. So. Yeah. I bet he loves filling people in on that. He's probably called. He's probably told that story a million times. Yeah, at least. I mean, there's three million people there a year. Yeah, I'm actually uh, as you're talking, I'm streaming the images from when you were there. So some of these uh, images you're seeing are from Mike's trip. Cool. Um, so just uh, going to a little. Uh, I know some people that listen to the podcast absolutely hate when we give these uh, location profiles, but. For a lot of people listening, they've... A lot of people like it, so... Yeah, people And we don't. like it, so then we're overruling everyone else. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> uh, I'm going to go over some features of the uh, park. So the climate in the Grand Teton region, uh, referring to our old friends at the Koppen Climate Classification. Uh, Is it Koppen or Copen? Copen, probably. It's Copen. It's, it's, it's got the umlaut over it, so you got to go the O. O. Copen. Yeah, so it, it's a humid continental uh, climate, uh, which is typified by four distinct seasons and large temperature, uh, large seasonal temperature differences with uh, warm to hot and often humid summers and cold, sometimes severely cold in the northern areas during the winters. And precipitation is pretty evenly distributed through the year. At the time of this disappearance, the average highs would be around 71. The average lows would be in the upper 30s. And there's typically, on average, no snow during June. So um, and you'd get about 1.8 inches of rain. So chances are he had pretty good weather for his hike. And based on some of the information we'll share later, uh, it turns out he did. Yeah, we actually have images from the day of, not from him, uh, but from other hikers. Yeah. So uh, as you can see, uh, Joe. Well, I, I will say one thing. Yes. Um, I'll create a Facebook picture uh, group thing, a photo album on Facebook that has all the images. So yeah. Mike's hike. The stuff from the show. I know I fell behind on Gwen. I actually put that one up too. Yeah. I should have put that in the beginning, but uh, we'll have the Facebook picture page for this episode. Excellent. So uh, you can see from some of the pictures, if you're watching that uh, lower elevations, it's very um, forestry, if that's a term. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a lot of you know pine trees and thick vegetation. And as you get up <clears throat> past the tree line, there become, there's absolutely no... Uh, you know, no vegetation. So there's really no shelter from the elements once you get above the tree line. And it's obviously very rocky. A lot of the hike at higher elevations, you're hiking on loose scree and, um, you know, that kind of rock. Um, it's a very young uh, mountain range. Like we said, it's it formed between six and nine million years ago. It runs roughly north to south and rises from the floor of Jackson Hole without any foothills along a 40 mile long 
uh, by seven to nine mile wide uh, fault block mountain front. So this has been, uh, they've had earthquakes in this area in the past, but it's a pretty dormant um, seismic area now. So I think the the largest earthquake <clears throat> this area's had is a 7.5 magnitude earthquake. Um, but the only recent one in historical times has been a 5.0 magnitude uh, in 1850. So in addition to the 13,775 foot high uh, peak of Grand Teton, there's nine other peaks that are over 12,000 feet. So it's a pretty, uh, pretty cool mountain range. A lot of uh, mountain climbers come to this area. So it's, it's very popular because I'll get into it in a little bit, but a lot of the climbing routes are very accessible by car. So it makes it really easy to climb. Yeah, it looks super jagged. It looks like a lot of fun. Yeah. I, I saw some of the pictures even outside yours of like areas where people go climbing. It's, it looks awesome. Yeah, I would definitely go back there and do another trip in the future. So um, animals in the park, uh, you've got you, moose are very abundant. You've got elk, uh, white-tailed deer, mule deer. You've got uh, cougars and bobcats. Uh, both are very rare in the park. Uh, you've got bison, which are very common, mountain goats, bighorn sheep. Uh, you've got gray wolves, coyotes, red foxes, and there's, like we said, there are lots of bears. Black bears are very common, <clears throat> but you also have brown bears and grizzlies. And I can 100% vouch that uh, there are grizzlies uh, grizzlies there because we ran into one. So yeah. <laughs> uh, they exist. We won't get in trouble <clears throat> this time. So you just got to follow, um, you know, if you're backcountry hiking in a place like this, you got to follow all the rules around um, you know, storing your food in bear country, uh, you know, hanging your food at camp. You never want to cook in your camp. You always want to cook, I believe, uh, downwind from where you're sleeping. You don't want to, you don't want to be cooking and then have that smell blowing through all of your gear. Yeah. So you always <laughs> want to all be, over you. You always want to be downwind from, uh, wherever you're sleeping. So just, you know, keep those, do those common precautions and you won't have any bear problems. <laughs> uh, Elevation um, is one of the major uh, risks hiking in this park. Obviously, you have uh, increased chance of dehydration, severe sunburn, altitude sickness, uh, and these are all aggravated if you have pre-existing conditions. Like we said, one, the Grand Teton is almost 14,000 feet, so and there's no shelter at the top, so you got to be careful. Uh, lightning is a major issue in the summer. They do have s- storms in the summer months in Grand Teton. And uh, you just got to be mindful of the weather forecast the day you're going hiking because once you get above the tree line, you're going to have nowhere to hide. So yeah, um, <clears throat> a lot of times during the year, you're going to have to cross snow fields while you're hiking. I, I had to cross several uh, to get up to the paintbrush divide. Were you concerned about any crevasse or anything like that i wasn't concerned about that but i didn't have Were you not concerned because you didn't know about them yet or <laughs> uh, uh, yeah so that uh, i was not thinking crevasses when i was crossing the snowfields. what i was worried about was i didn't have um proper boots to hike in a, a snowy environment Ooh. so i was worried about slipping and yeah. f- like rolling down the mountain <laughs> so i actually had a video up um on our youtube channel i believe of me crossing it and i I pretty much kind of leaned towards the mountain <clears throat> and like inched across because uh, it was a pretty steep grade and I didn't want to one slip and, you know, tumble, tumble down the mountain you go. So, um, you, you know, if you're hiking in the winter months uh, or, you know, early spring or, you know, very late fall, 
you may want to bring some, you know, something that will help you cross those snow fields better than just your regular hiking boots. Did you have like an ice axe or anything? I had a hiking pole. Oh, that's all. <laughs> that one hold. I mean, we were, we were helping stabilize, but it's not going to save. We were hiking in August, so yeah. it there was wasn't that many you know areas where that had snow, but uh, there were still several that were kind of kind of hairy to cross. Okay. Um, the other ones you're going to have hypothermia and hypothermia in the winter and heat exhaustion in the summer, and uh, ticks at the lower elevations. You got to be careful about that. Uh, they carry some pretty nasty diseases. Rocky Mountain spotted fever is one of them. Um, and the, you know, I, I remember picking a few ticks off of my, my pants. Um, so you just gotta be careful. Yeah, it's no good. Uh, difficulty in general, uh, Grand Teton National Park, like I said, is a popular destination for mountain and rock climbers, uh, because of, you know, the, the climbs are very accessible by road trails are well marked and routes to the summits of most peaks are long, uh, long established. And for the experienced and fit, most peaks can be climbed in one day. So um, that's why people really like it. Climbers don't need a permit either, but are encouraged to uh, register their climbing plans. And we've always encouraged you to tell people of any hiking plan um, and check in with the ranger station. Uh, if you do an overnight stay in the backcountry there, you do need a permit. Um, on average, about 4,000 climbers per year attempt uh, the summit of Grand Teton. And the park does have about 200 miles of uh, hiking trails, and they do range from very easy to extremely strenuous. So um, great park. I think uh, it, it has something for everyone. If you're not a too adventurous when you go hiking, there's plenty of trails that you could do that are well-marked, groomed, um, and you can enjoy the park like I did. So <clears throat> I think Joe is going to yeah, I'm gonna now. Get, I'm going to get on the uh, uh, profile soon, but my computer froze. Uh-oh. So, well, I'll keep me, talking. Yeah, keep talking about it. Keep talking about it. And <clears> then so I'll get back on here. Interesting story. <laughs> um, oh, um, you probably lost my video of the stream. I, yeah. Is it still say it's recording though? Uh, yes, it's okay. recording just you. Yep. Okay. <clears throat> um, so an interesting story. Sorry about that. We we're having a little bit of a technicalty. A technical difficulty here with <laughs> and Joe's a speaking computer. difficulty <laughs> and a speaking difficulty. Um, interesting story. When we were hiking Grand Teton, we uh, got up early one morning, <clears throat> you know, put our camp together, and um, we we started hiking down the trail. And all of a sudden, these uh, rangers started sprinting, like like right past up, you, or right up behind us, and then blew past us, and. Were they following you, or you didn't even see them, and they came out of nowhere? No, they were hunting down um, these two guys that were starting fires in the park. Oh. And they're, they had, like, shovels in their hands, and they were, like, running to go get them. And we were, like, making the joke, like, uh, are you just going to, like, arrest them? Or, like, <laughs> yeah, like what do you do? <laughs> what like, are you going to do? Yeah. Like, uh, so we never we never actually caught up to caught up to them or, you know, who they caught. But there were a couple guys that were starting – fires in the park and at the time it was very dry so they had a like a no fire policy and uh so um that was just an interesting experience um just quickly is it we still recording on there oh yeah okay yeah we'll have all of it. it's fine so what, what froze i uh, like the whole computer oh really <laughs> yeah <laughs> i was trying to share pictures i think so i'm not going to do that that way ever again okay. but that's fine 
Uh, you want to just do character profile and this thing's booting back up and I'll come right back online. Yeah. So, um, like we said, uh, the guy's name is, um, Kean McLaughlin. He was 27. He was a dual, uh, Irish U S citizen and he'd been living in Jackson, Wyoming, uh, where he worked as a bartender and a snowboard instructor instructor. And uh, when I was doing research for this case, I was getting really confused because I kept reading about Jackson Hole. <laughs> and uh, Jackson Hole is the, the valley, and Jackson, Wyoming is the town in the valley. So I was getting that kind of uh, mixed up. Yeah, so. I was like, he's from Jackson, Wyoming. You're like, are you sure? Because there's a Jackson Hole, Wyoming. And then I didn't know either, so I was like, I got confused also. And I was like... It says, I, so I searched Jackson, Wyoming. Then it says Jackson Hole some places, not Jackson Hole in others. And then we realized it was the Jackson Hole Valley. Yes. Um, so he was uh, six feet tall, uh, 180 pounds. He had brown hair, brown eyes. Clothing he was last seen in were. Um, I'm coming back on, so you can yeah. just keep going. Uh, so clothing he was last seen in were shorts, white t-shirt, bucket hat, hiking boots, wire rim sunglasses, a unique silver necklace, a red Apple watch, a red iPhone 12 mini, and he was carrying a water bottle. Um, he also had a noticeable uh, forearm tattoo on his left arm. So uh, personality, his uncle said, uh, you know, he was very sociable and chatty. He would definitely have talked to anyone that he saw on the trail um, you know, and obviously being a bartender and an instructor. Yeah. You're going to know how to talk to people. Yeah. And, that, and generally be interested in interacting with people in that matter yeah. too. And, uh, I couldn't get any information on his experience in this location, but the fact that he, he lived in Jackson, Wyoming, and he was a snowboard instructor, I, I'm going to go out on a limb and say he's probably experienced hiking and climbing in this location. Yeah. That is kind of the same general concept that I got to just reading about him. It seemed like he knew... Yeah. At least the areas. Like, you live there, he's going to know the weather patterns and things like that. It's not like he's an out-of-towner that doesn't know what to be doing. So, yeah. my assumption was he kind of gets it. Yeah. Um, so, Joe looks yeah, like he's... I'm back. I'm back. He's back. <laughs> Sorry for the technical difficulty there. Yes. Um, okay. So, Joe's going to jump into the timeline. Yes. So, it is... Uh, uh, July, 8th, July 8th. Yes, that's what it is. July 8th, 2.15. That's a Tuesday. So uh, Kean set out on a solo hike through Grand Teton. Security cameras show that he entered the park via the Moose Entrance Station on Tuesday at 2.15. Uh, McLaughlin's route was unknown. He could have been hiking the Garnet Canyon Surprise Amphitheater, Delta, or Taggart Lake areas. So this is, uh, you know, anyone who's listened for a long time, this is a big no-no for us. <laughs> yep. Uh Always, always, always fill somebody in on your, your route um, or at a minimum leave a note or something. Yeah, just even like I'm going to come in this area. I ex- even if you're not sure, I'm going to be in this general area. These are the trails I was thinking about. So just what's your thought process? Where do you think you could go? Yeah. Uh, even if you say, you know, I'm taking this trail, but I'm doing photography. So I might wander a little bit to get pictures or things like that. So then even then a rescuer could go, okay, here's the trail. What are some areas on this trail that I might go take pictures of? Things yeah. like that. So you give people an idea of where you are in case something happens. So as Mike said, we went over this profile. This park's super popular. Uh, these trails that he's going on, they're not, I mean, they're remote, but I mean, they are traveled. Yeah. So he's in an area with lots of people. He's experienced, he knows the area, and he went missing. So yeah. we're going to, so that's just, 
kind of reiterating how important it is, even if you're just going to go for a day hike, make sure somebody knows. Yeah. And honestly, um, you know, this would help the search and rescue team narrow in. So like the first 24 to 48 hours of a search and rescue are the most vital, even in summer months. I mean, especially if you're injured. Mm -hmm. Um, And the fact that they just know he was hiking in Grand Teton, uh, a park that's 310,000 acres. Yeah. uh, You know, that's, that's a huge area to search. And if, if they know what trail you're on, they can direct all that manpower to that area instead of yeah, just, just get that focus and have a way better shot at outcome. Yeah. Uh, so it wasn't until the 10th, uh, Thursday, uh, McLaughlin failed to show up for work uh, at his place of employment. <clears throat> so uh, that's when someone knew something was wrong. Probably thought he was ghosting his shift or whatever. Yeah. On the 12th, uh, which is a Saturday, late in the evening, McLaughlin was officially reported missing to the uh, Teton County Sheriff's Office. So that's a pretty big delay in... I mean, I think it's safe to assume that he... Four days? Yeah, he went missing sometime on the 8th. And, you know, he wasn't reported missing to the authorities until late on the 12th. Yeah. Um, Not... You know, we're already starting off um, behind the eight ball on this one. Absolutely. So... So then uh, the next day on the Sunday at 7 a.m., the Teton uh, Interagency Dispatch Center was notified of McLaughlin's disappearance uh, by the Teton County Sheriff's Office. McLaughlin's vehicle was located at the Lupine Meadows Trailhead in Grand Teton National Park on Sunday morning, June 13th. So midday on that Sunday, a massive search uh, kicks off looking for Kean. Aerial reconnaissance and ground search operations were conducted in a high probability areas of the park on June 13th. Uh, and basically no evidence or leads turned up about his whereabouts. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's unfortunate that they didn't have a, a specific location that they were, you know, trying to, um, you know, search. So this, well, and it's worth noting because even if his car's at a trailhead, yeah. we've been to many parks. You park where you can yeah. and either hitch a ride with somebody or take like the bus or yep. there's the other transportation. So parking your car somewhere in a national park also doesn't necessarily mean you're there. I mean, odds are he was in that area. Yeah. But I mean, there's times we've gone to national parks, parked in one place and went to the other end of the park, yeah. then started hiking. We did that in Glacier. Yep. We had to take the bus like four stops to get to our start from where our car was. Yeah. So- um, yeah, that's, uh, you know, <clears throat> another interesting aspect of it that, so they, they have surveillance of him entering the park. His car is still there. So I think it's safe to assume he's in the park. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'll let you, I'll let you go on now. So on the 17th, now this is a few days later, uh, Rangers received a report of a June 8th sighting of a man that fit McLaughlin's description by a local climbing guide. The guide reported seeing the man hiking up Garnett Canyon trail above the Garnett, our Garnett Canyon Surprise Lake Junction around 3.45 p.m., and this is on the 8th. The trail is an 8.2-mile round trip and has a peak elevation of 9,280 feet. It is ranked at a, as a moderate strenuous uh, on the official Grand Teton National Park website. He described him as a solo hiker who had shoulder-length hair and was wearing round glasses, a white shirt, shorts, and a hat. The guide also reported the man is having tattoos on his arm and carrying a water bottle. So that's pretty, pretty good description. Pretty of, good description. It sounds like that was definitely him. Yep. 
<clears throat> Based on this new information, the search operations have been adjusted today to focus on more on the Garnet Canyon. So this is exactly what Mike was saying. They were looking in popular places everywhere. Yeah. And now it's what, like eight, nine days later? Yeah. Uh, no, seven days later, whatever. <clears throat> um, and they are just now focusing on the area that he was seen in. Yeah. So it's, uh, you know, you're... <clears throat> Your chances of, uh, you know, successfully finding someone still alive at this point have gone down tremendously, though it's not unheard of. I mean, like we mentioned in the beginning of the episode, we are going to be interviewing a guy who survived for nine days in Washington State's wilderness. Yep. So it can happen, mm -hmm. but your odds of survival go down so much. But the, the strange part about this is how popular and busy this park is. Yeah. Um, and it, towards the end, when we get to theories, I'm going to read a statement from another person who hiked this park and kind of their theory of, you know, how weird it would be to go missing at this time of year in this park. So, yeah. Um, so at the point that they adjusted their search, mm -hmm. um, it, they included like 50 park staff conducting ground search in the, in the high probability areas, six search and rescue dog teams, members of the Teton County Sheriff. Uh, search and rescue and the Teton interagency helicopter uh, was involved in the search. So they had a lot of people out there looking for him. Yep. Um, over the next few days uh, after the extensive ground and aerial efforts, the search for McLaughlin shifted tactics to a continuous but limited mode. So this is where they start saying based on what he was seen having, what yeah. he expected, we're past the point of, you know, this is, we 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 got to scale it down a little bit. Yeah, and I mean, from what everything we read, he wasn't really prepared gear wise to spend multiple days out in the backcountry. Like it, it seems like he was just going for a day hike or a day climb, and then was coming back. He didn't have, from what I can tell, he didn't have a backpack. Yeah, um, he didn't have any kind of cold weather gear. He didn't have any kind of you know illumination like headlamp or anything. He didn't have a tent, a backpack or a sleeping bag. Yeah. So he was not prepared to spend any kind of extend, extended time out in the wilderness. Yeah. Which works against him. And they had these teams. I mean, this says they had them navigating <clears throat> super steep areas, technical terrain and hazardous areas, many requiring ropes, ice axes, crampons, like the whole deal just to get into. And there were over 45 helicopter search missions that were conducted. Yeah. Um, what was cool, and you found this, Mike, that they yeah. used uh, this new technology called RECCO, RECCO Rescue Technology. Yeah. You want to give everyone a, a little idea of what that is? I looked it up a little bit. It looks really sweet. Yeah. So it um, it basically uh, it assists in search and rescue in incidents by sending a signal, which so the helicopter will send a signal, then it, that reflects off these we'll call them RECO chips or clothing and sometimes even cell phones. And it's basically, if you go to their website, we'll, we'll post a link. Cause I, I find it really cool. And I think if more people wore stuff like this, less people would go missing, but um, they have little, we're not sponsored by them. So yeah. <laughs> or maybe soon we will be, but yeah, maybe. as of this moment, we're not, we don't typically really uh, highlight, you know, products. Well, I, things, I didn't look at it as like a, a thing that pe like you can purchase it, but I looked at it more like their company appealing to outdoors companies to say, integrate our thing in your clothes. And then you yeah. can use it as a marketing thing, but also will help people. Yeah. There are uh, shirts and sweatshirts and coats and backpacks that you can buy with this technology integrated into it. Or you can just buy these little, um, they look like little Velcro straps that you can strap to like a climbing ha helmet or your backpack or a shirt. 
Um, so really cool uh, technology. It'll be interesting to see where this goes if it becomes like common. Yeah, basically it looked common. like they like <clears throat> it's a radar and the helicopters send yeah. a signal down. If you have this thing in your clothes or on the thing, it like reflects it back and says, oh, somebody's here. Yeah. It's not nat- natural. Yeah, it doesn't give like a precise location, but it will give a ping to a general area like, okay, we've, we've got a ping in this area. Let's focus our efforts. And like I was saying, it'll be interesting to see if this kind of technology becomes more common going forward in gear that you, you know, backcountry hikers use. I really hope so. And it, it, it'd be cool if they sold these little things right in like the gift shop of the the national parks even. Yeah. Um, so yeah, cool technology. I've never heard of this used before. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the first time I've heard of it. So pretty cool. So in addition to that, so uh, which I agree, it looked really awesome. I hope something good happens with it. Uh, the Civil Air Patrol conducted aerial operations using forward-looking infrared technology. So that's the FLIR we were talking about. Yep. Thermal imaging cameras to detect heat sources. And then they spoke with over 140 people with tips and information about uh, Kian. Yeah. So unfortunately, um, this <clears throat> the the family family and friends have still kept up the search, and um, park rangers, while doing a very limited um, search, have uh, they continue when they're hiking out in the wilderness. They they keep an eye out for you know these people that have gone missing, um, but. Nothing was ever found. None of his gear was found that he had with him. None of his clothing, the the watch, the phone. Um, I you know that always gets me. I know. I mean, it's great that he had his phone with him. I always yeah. say, bring your phone with. When I was hiking in the Tetons, there's no cell reception. So, I mean, unfortunately, you're probably not even going to ping get a you know a single bar. But mm-hmm. always have it with you just in case. I mean, it could be life or death if you just happen to get a slight signal for a minute. Um, so, you know, before we get into theories, um, I'm I just do, gonna, I do have, um, Oh, Joe's got some audio here for us. Yeah. It'll be video too. So I'm just going to minimize that and make sure I switch on the stream. Um, uh, while he's doing that, here we go. It's um, gonna, what this is, it's an interview at the park ranger that was involved in the search. Let me get some volume up on here. The search for Kian won't end from our perspective until we find him. So tactics shift over time. And we're coming on towards winter. We expect that snow will fall on the ground, which will make some of the clues we're looking for a little more difficult to find. There are items that we believe that he had with him, and those are things that we might see out in the landscape. We continue to really work with the public soliciting for information. We have missing person flyers throughout the park at entrance stations at trailheads. And our staff is always patrolling in the field, both in the summer and the winter. And so the tactics they use, again, may shift a little bit, but we'll have ski patrollers out and whatnot. And everyone who goes out into the area we believe that Kian was last known to be will be looking for him and looking for clues. So that was a park ranger basically describing to the press that um, they're going to be scaling back the search for Kian because it's all that time has passed. And yeah. They have an understanding of what they look for. So what she explained is what we've talked about in several episodes on like it's a it's a difficult thing it's a difficult topic to broach because you have somebody out missing and you're basically giving the sign that we're giving up yep and they never really do but it's kind of a a more pc way of saying that we're past this time where we'd expect him to be alive 
Yeah, and even the family goes into saying that it, you know it turned into a recovery at a certain point. They they would like to find his remains to have closure at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's uh, you know it's a sad situation. Uh, you know before we go into theories and everything, there was just a statement by you know Grand Teton National Park Ranger that um, and law enforcement that said they didn't suspect um, that he suffered from any type of mental health issue. So. Um, I think I, we're not in the theories just yet, but <laughs> I, I don't think mental health was an issue, but here are some of the issues I have with the facts of this case. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean issues in the sense that they're not real or anything, but just things that don't make sense to me. So, um, for an experienced, you know, hiker, climber instructor, he was not dressed appropriately for hiking in the backcountry, and he didn't have the proper gear. Um, I could probably chalk that up to people when they get to a certain level of, you know, experience hiking and uh, climbing, probably get a little, you know, arrogant about how good they are out in the wilderness. Yeah, I would even say even arrogance more like it becomes more routine or casual. Yeah, I guess that's and a that, term, yeah, not arrogant. Yeah, but no, I mean, it kind of kind of means the same thing, kind of like, ah, this is just like I've been I'm to this just mountain. Doing a day f- hike. Yeah, I'm doing a day <laughs> hike. I've been to this mountain 50 times. Yeah. Like it becomes like kind of walking out your door. Yep. We're going to do it uh, more absent-minded because you're not intentionally yeah. doing it. So that's an issue for me. Um, he started hiking late afternoon. Uh, I know he lived there, so he may have just intended to hike up the trail for four hours and then turn around. But whenever I'm hiking, you know, in a national park, we always try to get up at sunrise or even before, because a, you want to beat the, you want to beat the the crowds. You want to beat the heat. And a lot of times if you can get going early in the morning, you don't have to kill yourself as much, you know, pushing to get to the top. If you start earlier, because sometimes, uh, you know, if you're not making good time and you still want to try and summit, you got to really start hoofing it. Yeah. Um, and all the bad weather comes typically in the yeah. afternoon in the mountains. Yeah. So, like, I mean, if you could, if you're going to have storms, down, it's going to be at noon yeah. and one and two. Yeah. So, you know, that's an issue uh, for me. Um, you know, some people online who have hiked this area a lot, and I can kind of vouch for the trail I was on, at least in Grand Teton, um, it would be really tough to get, get lost on a lot of these trails because they're so popular. Um, so, you know, interesting. Um, the trailhead that he started on was only a 35-minute drive from Jackson, so I think we can assume he's hiked this before. And a lot of people online said the area he was hiking is a generally easier area to hike, so it doesn't make sense that an experienced hiker, climber, could have gone missing in this area of the park. So... Um, just, uh, an interesting, you know, issues I had with what happened here. Um, so I think Joe actually has some, he's got some all trails comments from this area right around when this guy went missing. Yeah. So we, um, what I, I started doing is on all trails, what's really cool about this app is not only do people share pictures of the trails that a lot of times we're talking about, uh, but it gives us like how long it took them to hike it. They put in comments about how difficult it was. They'll take pictures and they'll show where those pictures were along the trail. What's really cool too is you kind of get a good running visual representation of the current status of that trail. Lucky for us, 
there are literally images from the day he went missing from other people who did this trail. So we'll be posting those on the internet. You want to share my screen? Can you do it from yours? Oh, yeah. So um, here are the, the results we got from just a couple of uh, random grabs from right around that time. So I have this one from June 7th, so the day before he went missing. Uh, uh, Carlos and Paula <coughs> say this was by far the, uh, my favorite hike of the Grand Tetons. The other reviews were from a couple of weeks ago, so the snow was a lot worse. When we went to the, uh, when we went, the snow was only on the trail at the very end. We had poles and micro spikes and made the snowy parts past the end of the hike very easy. Ten to ten, please do this hike. It's awesome. So what's cool is this is the day before he was there. He said there was there was a ton of snow, but at this point, uh, it was pretty much gone. So it made it a lot easier. Yeah. Uh, this is a review from June eleventh. Uh, beautiful hike. Uh, amazing views. Trail was clearly marked. Saw an elk and a bear. Very challenging, but took our time. Leave early to avoid crowds. So that comment tells me there's a lot of people on this trail. Yep. If he's making suggestions like, because you and I feel the same. We do not like being around tons of people. So we go at certain times where we think uh, no one else will be there. So that's enough that he's commenting on it. Now here, uh, and again, these will be on Facebook for the audio the audio listeners only. Uh, here are some photos taken by the all trail users on the day Kean went missing. This is Garnett Canyon to the lower saddle trail. Oop, I think you had to scroll down. There you go. Yeah. I was just reading it. Oh. <laughs> so as you can see, like there's some trees, there's some definitely some exposure, but it's pretty open. Yeah. So again, when I look at this is if you go missing in this area, you're not necessarily going to be like under a ton of brush. Yeah. Like where it would be hard for people to find you, especially well, if you have colored clothing. If you unfortunately fell uh, one of the comments I'll read well, in a few minutes is other people would see you it, yeah. either fall or they would see your body not to get grizzly or anything down at the bottom of the, the canyon. Exactly. So it's wide open in a lot of these yeah, spots. It's, it's, it's exposed. Uh, and so here's another picture from that day. So very clear. Yeah. Uh, doesn't look like it's stormy, no snow. So like very good conditions for hiking. Yeah. All right. You can pull the screen. There you go. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it, it, where he was hiking reminds me a lot of, you know, the, the trail we did. It, it looks very similar, and um, it, it's puzzling uh, that he could have gone missing. So um, this is a statement, before we get into what we think happened, um, this is a statement from a person on my favorite platform that I always say I don't like to quote, but I do read it. Um, so take it uh, with a grain of salt. They could have totally made all this up, but um, <laughs> it sounds it sounds similar to what I experienced hiking there. So this person wrote, uh, completed the Garnet Canyon Trail today. The trail was packed Saturday in July, so not uh, surprised. I find it very strange that he went missing without a clue. Granted, he had nothing with him. I watched multiple people running down my trail, which was steep and tons of loose rocks and tree roots. They had nothing but a water bottle. I had views of Taggart Lake, uh, majority of the hike. I don't believe he went missing from th that trail. It seemed like a heavily trafficked trail. Not to mention, at least from my perspective, it didn't seem all uh, that high or tough. Trail max elevation gain is uh, 1,600 feet, which is the same trail uh, start I did up uh, until the point you either continue higher or you turn towards the lakes and descend. The trail... I completed, didn't get sketchy till the top. Uh, we were about 2,600 feet in elevation gain. It's loose, small rocks, and then you hit 
end, which is huge boulders clogging the valley, which has a glacier melt running through parts. Plenty of overnight hikers uh, climbing and over and through the giant rocks. I felt confident if something were to happen to me and I was conscious or, or at least unconscious within 10 or 20 feet of the trail, I would be found just by the pure volume of people going up and down. If I were to have fallen, there weren't many sharp cliffs. More, more of very steep declines. Most were like 60 or 80 degrees. So even if I fell, it would be easy to spot. Something about this just doesn't pass the smell test. That is kind of the impression I got when I read this case after hiking the Tetons. Yeah. Um, and I didn't go there. So, cause like you immediately were kind of weirded out by the, this case. Like, and I, and I, to be honest, I didn't even put my finger on it. I didn't mention it cause I wanted yeah. it to come out on the, on the actual show, but I didn't think about it. Like after you've been there, yeah. kind of in the, around the same weathery time period, yeah. And given the images of what we yeah. saw, what it actual conditions were, yeah. I can kind of see how it's like, this is a hard place to go missing. Maybe not a hard place to get injured and die, yes. but a hard place to go missing and not be found. Yeah, I, that is the, the thought I was having. Uh, I went and hiked it in August. He hiked it in June. So, you know, similar conditions. And Well, you and a complete stranger on the internet who've been there had a very similar yeah. sense. Yep. And I'm just, like I said, I'm not there, but looking at the pictures I've been seeing... I could see that because I've yeah. been hiking in areas like that. Yeah, and I agree with you. There are plenty of spots, at least along the loop we did, where you could get injured and kill yourself. Mm -hmm. Like, completely not out of the question. The, the toughest part of our hike was when we were getting up towards the paintbrush divide, there was some real sketchy um, kind of switchbacks that you had to go up. And this was well above the tree line. And... Uh, you know, there's steep drop-offs, and like this guy said, there wasn't like a lot of jagged rock, but it was very steep elevation, like 60 to 80 degree uh, slopes. And if I would have lost my footing and fallen, I would have died. But you would have seen something sitting at the bottom because there was no vegetation, no trees. Yeah. I mean, it's just open, rocky valley, and... Unless something happened to him at the lower elevations where the vegetation's thick, like where I saw the grizzly, I mean, you could, if you wandered off trail, something could happen. But I just, I, I don't understand how he could have gone missing. How thick is the vegetation? Like, is it super dense or is it just, like, I saw the images, but you were on the ground. Like, yeah. Is it like the kind of forest you could see maybe 20 feet in, or was it like if you're off the trail, it's just a wall? I mean, it's the kind of, uh, you know, I would describe it as a lot of, uh, you know, like pine type trees and vegetation that would come up maybe, um, you know, knee high on me. Okay. So like not super thick, like, you know, like I mean, you could just go walk into it. Yeah. Look, I mean, okay. looking at, yeah, the pictures I have, at least where we were, you could, you could walk in there pretty easily. I mean, it's pretty dense, but not as dense as some places we've hiked. Like okay. in the Rockies, like in Colorado or, yeah. you know, so, or like Oregon. So, um, could he have gone missing in that denser vegetation? Totally possible. Um, I mean, I guess we'll just jump right in the theories. Yeah. Uh, since we're already kind of talking, I, I want to hear yours because you're very, yeah. Uh, like very focused on whatever you have in mind. So I, I don't think it's animal attack, even though there are grizzlies and, you know, grizzly brown bears, black bears in the park. There's cougars and um, bobcats, which are very rare. Uh, the type of search that happened, there would have been, you know, with all the search 
dog search teams, they would have found evidence of an animal attack. And the thing you got to realize too is he was hiking in June, so bears, you know, might still be coming out of their hibernation and like you know they might be kind of grumpy and you know feeding you know getting fattened up for the summer. Sure. Um, so is it possible that he he came across a disgruntled bear and it attacked him? Possible. Like when we encountered that grizzly in the Tetons, he was eating berries off trail, and the ranger told us that if there's natural food around, the bears will leave people alone. Yeah, and they don't want to waste they, energy fighting. They're not they gonna. Can. They're not gonna attack you. They're gonna keep unless they have their cubs with them. And yeah. this, you know, a lot of these trails are so heavily trafficked that the bears typically don't like to get very close to the trails. That's yeah. If there's a lot of people all the time, yeah, they're gonna avoid those those spaces. Yeah, and I mean it, the, one, the off chance that there's a bear who's had human food, uh, the National Park Service unfortunately does a, a good job of you know getting rid of those bears which is why you should never feed them. Um, so I'm going to rule out animal attack. I mean, he was traveling I, light. I, I agree with you. He didn't have, doesn't sound like he had bear spray with him, which is, I mean, if you're hiking in grizzly country, always carry bear mace. I yeah. mean, that's just an no-brainer. Um, I, I'm going to rule out any kind of mental health issue. It sounds like the law enforcement factored that in and ruled it out like mm-hmm. right away. He seemed perfectly normal and, um, yeah, you know. and I actually have a video where he's talking. Let's see if I have it queued up. Yeah, but uh, then, uh, yeah, keep going. But like, because then we'd have a good idea of kind of you know what's he saying. What does he sound like? Yeah. So I mean, he. Uh, let me know when you're ready. I'll switch. I'm over. ready. Switch me. All right. I'll listen to Keen. This is uh what it is for those listening. There's like a an um not an ad, but like a clipping for his missing persons. And they yeah. actually embedded a video in the minute uh, middle of it showing him. So far, I've gone. 650 feet and just over a kilometer at 25 minutes, which isn't amazing, but start of the season, pretty unfit. But uh, yeah, thinking of doing a little couple of videos of the this season, the exploration of this season. Where are we gonna go? What are we gonna do? If you're a skit skier, snowboarder, I don't think I'm going to impress too much, but by all means, have a little look, share, do as you please. Let's go. So, yeah, I agree. Probably no mental health issues. Seemed like a really cool guy. Yeah. Um, that was not the when he went missing. Obviously, that was an earlier video for yeah. those listening. That's not a video that he took that they would found or recovered or anything. Yeah. So, I, you know, I don't have any reason to believe that um it was a mental health thing uh he seemed you know and obviously we've said this before uh just because somebody outwardly doesn't show signs of mental health issues doesn't mean that they're not dealing with something so it's not always a great gauge of uh their you know mental health but yeah uh, law enforcement did not seem to think that was an issue with this case i mean one of the things is he in that video you played he does seem kind of like adventurous, like an explorer. Yes. Like he may go for the eight mile hike, but he might just be like, F it. I'm going to go off trail and yeah. just see what I can find. So perhaps he started down this trail, but then decided to just on a whim, you know, st- you know, stop off trail. 
and he got out of the search zone and uh, had an accident then and, uh, you know, hasn't been found yet. And if it happened at lower elevations, he would be in a lot of that vegetation. Um, if he passed away, his body would then probably be, uh, you know, there's bobcats, cougars, gray wolves, foxes, coyotes, yeah, three different bear species. I mean, the remains would be, uh, you know, disturbed. Yeah, the clothing and such. Yeah. So, I mean, I think... I think the weather was so nice. It's in the seventies. Like he didn't have any warm weather gears. So if he was stuck out there at night, I mean, 38 degrees is cold if you're in shorts and t-shirt Yeah, like that, you're probably, could you make it through the night if you could like hunker down in a hole somewhere? Probably. Yeah. I don't know. But, um, so I think there's a risk of, uh, you know, exposure and to hypothermia. Um, yeah, and that's so true. And I actually had an experience with that in high school when I went up to Boundary Waters. Yeah. Middle of summer. It was like June. Uh, really warm out. I mean, we're swimming in the lakes, yep. th- that type of heat. I remember I fell asleep outside next to the campfire. Yeah. And it went out at some point in the night, and I woke up, and I was shaking. I was yeah. pre-hypothermic. I was actually very close, and, like, I had a hoodie on. I had pants on, but quite simply just laying on the ground, it, like, sucks all the body heat out of you. Yeah. So if you're already exposed to, you know, cooler weather, you've yep. been sweating, things like that, and you have to go to sleep and not have a proper shelter insulation, yeah, you could go into hypothermia in a single night. Oh yeah, I think uh, totally plausible. Um, I so I think my my main theory I think is based on his video that we watched that in an adventurous explorer type he went off trail and something happened and. Because of that, they weren't able to find him, and he must have done it lower in the valley when there was still vegetation because I just don't see how if that happened higher elevations, they wouldn't have found him. Yeah. Especially on a sunny day in in June, there's no snow on the ground. It's not going to snow. It's not like he fell down a canyon and then got covered with five feet of snow. Yeah. That didn't happen. It's June. Um, And it's odd if he would have been at, like, I remember when you're doing the paintbrush divide, you could see people like all the way off into the distance, kind of like, you know, like you've seen this before. In Glacier. Like, yeah. When, like when we did the, uh, the main trail that like goes around the whole yeah. mountain range. So like there's, you see people that are like, it looks like a couple miles off, but it's really far away. Yeah. And if I would have seen someone like way far off, like a, you know, like a color, their backpack all of a sudden like tumble down the mountain. Even if I was like a mile away, I would have seen something. Yeah. And I would have hiked up to that spot and stopped and you I would have at least going on. said something when I got off the trail to the park rangers. Yeah. So I, you know, I don't think it was an accident higher up in elevation because I think somebody would have seen it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, my theory is he, he went off trail early, lower in the valley and something happened and probably his remains will be found at some point. Maybe. Yeah. Hopefully. I don't know. I don't know. What do you think? So um, my initial process is kind of more like your second guess. Yeah. My thing was I feel like he was experienced enough where he's one of those guys that can go fast in the trail. Yeah. Seven-mile loop is not – I mean, that's why he would start late in the afternoon. He could probably crack that thing out in a couple hours, yeah, a few no hours. Yeah, bag, nothing. Yep, with yeah. light gear. If he's used to hiking the mountains at that altitude, you can get that done quick. I assumed he either did that and then went off and did something else. And yeah. then succumb to some sort of injury, like you said, or 
he was never in that trail. And that's just where somebody saw him. Uh, maybe he was on his way out and yep. then he went somewhere else. I don't know. Um, but I kind of agree with you. I but feel his like his car was there. So he didn't leave the park. Well, that's what I'm car. saying. Like if he yeah. went somewhere else, but his car was still parked there. Yep. Um, that's kind of what my guess was going to be is that he was just not in the main focus search area for whatever reason. Yeah. I mean, that's the most plausible reason. Um, I know sometimes we say like maybe it was abduction or, um, I mean, that, that, that's kind of like, yeah, I'd say like my a guess would be he was not in the search area because yep. he went somewhere else. B guess would be something like what you said in their first guess. Uh, not really being prepared. Yeah. And he's on that trail and just succumbed. They couldn't find him. Third guess would be like foul play. Yeah. Was he abducted in the parking lot and we for forget, whatever reason? This wasn't even a year ago. Yeah. This was last June. Yep. So, it, you know, he, he went missing in June. You know, your your window to hike the Tetons before, you know, a lot of heavy snow falls in um, is just a few months. So, I mean, there is a chance, you know, not, I'm not going to say likelihood, but there's a chance that maybe a hiker or climber discovers his remains yep. this summer. It happened up. with Paul Miller. Yeah. We did the episode, was in talk with his family, and then uh, only a few months ago, what about they, that, uh, they found his remains. Lady that went missing in California. Uh, uh, you remember her name? I, I thought that happened to her too. Yeah. The right, yeah. They recovered like 20 miles and somewhere yep. completely different. Yeah, so, you know, it does happen. Um, so I, I wouldn't be shocked if at some point maybe they are, his remains are found. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, the vast majority of the cases we do, they're not. So, um, yeah, other than that, just a, kind of a strange case. This one was a little different for me because I, I didn't hike it last year when he did it, but I've hiked this park before. Um, so it's kind of weird to know, you know. Yeah, been in the area. This guy disappeared right in an area that we hiked so hopefully they find him and his family gets closure yep totally agree all right well thanks again for tuning into our show we appreciate all of you for listening and sharing locations unknown with your friends and family be sure to like and follow us on facebook instagram and twitter Uh, we have the youtube channel where you can subscribe there as well to support the show financially or be a patreon uh, subscriber you can also visit our facebook store or the website store to pick up cool swag um and what we're going to start doing, we're not going to go live every episode, but we're going to record the episodes, release to Patreon and YouTube subscribers first, yep. like a day or two early before the show actually gets released to the public. So that's just another added benefit to all the Patreon subscribers. So if you're seeing this first, it's because you're a paid subscriber. Otherwise, you got to wait. <laughs> and just all uh, besides that, remember, when enjoying the beauty of nature, whether backpacking, camping, or simply taking a walk, always remember to leave no trace. Thanks, and we will see you all next time.